Hello, and welcome to episode 343 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan, as always, joined by Evan Silva. We are not quite ready to put the 2021 NFL season to bed just yet. We have some explaining to do, which we will do today. Evan, how's it going? It's going well. Um, we got a, a lot of guys to get through misses and hits, and I think it, it'll be a really interesting podcast. As Evan said, on today's show, we're going to review some of our biggest hits and misses from the 2021 NFL fantasy football season. I think the idea here is just to think through these spots with the benefit of hindsight, right? And like people use hindsight to dunk on people all the time. That's not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to dunk on ourselves. We're literally trying to think about what we thought about guys before the season. And now that we have hindsight, well, maybe we can try to learn something we can take away and be better in the future. Today on this episode, we'll be looking at the early rounds, roughly rounds one through four, one through five. On the next episode, we'll be looking at later round hits and misses. Before we get into it here today, wanted to remind everyone that this show is brought to you by the Establish the Run NBA product. Yes, that's right. Our guys are grinding their cocks off to help you better than anyone else in the world with NBA props and DFS. And by the way, I want to mention, we did work out a special deal with MGM Sportsbook. If you sign up for an MGM Sportsbook account and you are a new user with our link, deposit at least $10, they will send you a coupon for $84.99 off any ETR product. That's on top of the 1K free bet that MGM give you for signing a link anyway. So if you don't have an MGM account and you're in a date that's eligible, sign up with MGM, deposit 10 bucks, you'll get a 1K free bet. You'll also get an $84.99 coupon they'll email to you to use on any ETR product going forward. Seems like a home run deal to me. Check it out on the NBA subscribe page. And then the MGM details are on our ETR Sportsbook bonus offers page. That's the first item on the drop down from betting props, from the betting and props tab. All right. Let's get into it here, Evan. Uh, uh, we went through our preseason content, you know, Silva's top 150, uh, our top 300 rankings for all formats, uh, our podcast, our articles, and we tried to pull out the biggest hits and misses. Obviously, it's not going to be a complete and exhaustive list. We're leaving injuries uh, results out of this, but hopefully this is a, a good learning experience. I personally like doing this a lot. Let's start with what was very clearly a big miss and maybe... Actually, I don't think it's the biggest miss that that I had or we had, but it's up there. And that's Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor uh, was 14th overall in Silva's top 150. He finishes as fantasy's number one running back. He runs for 1,811 yards, 18 touchdowns, catches 40 balls. Now, I think the key point here, Evan, maybe the learning experience is that we had Jonathan Taylor way higher. And then Carson Wentz gets this foot surgery. He, he hurts his foot. He gets foot surgery. Nobody knows if he's going to be ready for the start of the season. They had offensive line injuries. You know, Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines were there and expected to play roles. So, you know, I, I remember thinking at the time back in August, like, you know, he's not going to catch a ton of passes. He might be dealing with like Sam Ellinger or something like that at quarterback. The offensive line, which was supposed to be a strength, is all banged up also. But maybe I just wasn't thinking like Jonathan Taylor is a total freak on a run committed team and we can ignore all that other noise. But I don't know. What did you think about how we handled Jonathan Taylor? Yeah, it's a painful one in hindsight, you know, and every year there's going to be one or two guys like this, hopefully only one or two guys like this. I mean, in, in 2020, for me, uh, DeAndre Hopkins was a really painful one. Um, and we re-examined, re you know, why I missed, why I missed on him. Um, and, and I think that you, you summed it up pretty nicely. It was a combination of, 
I wasn't so much worried about Marlon Mack. I was worried about Naheem Hines, and that actually held for most of the first like four or five weeks. And I also was worried that the Colts might stink for the reasons that you mentioned. Carson Wentz was hurt. Quentin Nelson was hurt. You know, the, um, the foundation for this offense is its offensive line. They have, you know, maybe the most talented offensive line in the league. Eventually, all those guys got healthy. And Jonathan Taylor sort of separated himself from Naheem Hines. The Colts coaching staff just, you know, re- resorted to the, the – just sort of realized – over the course of the season, they needed to throw the ball to Jonathan Taylor. He's so dangerous in the screen game, you know, and um, it just it, it didn't go well for our forecast. It was looking all right for like the first month, but then everything kind of came together for the Colts. The Colts wound up being a good team. I know that yeah. they absolutely blew it in their last two games. To they, Who did they lose? The Jaguars and the Raiders? I mean, yeah. That was awful, but um, but they were a good team for most of the season. I thought they might be a bad team. That was part of the analysis that, hey, if they were playing from behind, Naheem Hines is going to be on the field, and just uh, didn't didn't go the way that I that I thought it would. You know, and I think maybe we didn't think enough about their schedule when you play in the AFC South and you get six games against the Texans titans jaguars like you're going to be in positive scripts and to your point i mean i didn't think that jonathan taylor would have so many touchdown opportunities 41 carries this year for jonathan taylor from inside the 10 yard line no one else was even close i mean damian harris was second with 30 carries from inside the 10 yard line and so you know and the other thing i'd say about this is we try not to go overboard on talent right just because a guy especially a running back is really good at football it doesn't always translate to fantasy success but maybe jonathan taylor is just such a freak that it does translate to fantasy success, no matter what the situation. But yeah, I mean, I agree with you that that the, the Naheem Hines stuff was real. Catching 40 passes, I think, um, was an outlier. 41 rushes from inside the 10-yard line, hard to predict. So I don't actually don't feel too, te- too, too terrible about this one. The result was obviously absolutely atrocious. Let's go to one that we hit on, and this was credit to Silva, uh, and it's Austin Eckler. If you go back and listen to episode 234 of this podcast, we did it on August 27. It was round-by-round favorite targets. In there, Silva beats the table for taking Austin Eckler if you have a back-of-round-one pick. Um, to me, it's the profile of Austin Eckler. You know, uh, when you have a back who gets a share, a good share of the early down work, plus is so dominant and explosive in the pass game, like, that's the kind of profile of a running back I want to take early. You know, Jonathan Taylor isn't necessarily the profile. Derek Henry's not necessarily the profile of the running back I want to take early. Austin Eckler is. And so this was a really good hit. Evan, any thoughts looking back on why you were so high on Austin Eckler and how it played out? Yeah, to me, this was an easy one because the the biggest, um, you know, the, the biggest reason for anti-Austin Eckler sentiment was this crap about Josh Kelly or somebody taking his goal line carries. Um, we did have some coach speak that uh, – uh, put that, you know, put that kind of to, to bed a little bit because Joe Lombardi was talking about how he wanted to use Austin Eckler like Alvin Kamara. Joe Lombardi, of course, from the uh, the old Saints coaching staff. And Alvin Kamara plays, you know, consistently in scoring position. It's not smart for teams to pull their best players in high leverage situations when you're trying to get the ball into the end zone. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Chargers never did that with Austin Eckler. Uh, Justin Jackson is a nice little backup. You know, we, we saw him pop up for uh, some, some good games this year. We've seen him do that at, on multiple occasions. 
throughout his career. He's not a big back either. Okay. And, and that was the thought that was the thinking behind why people didn't want to draft Austin Eckler in the first round was because he's small. He might get pulled at the goal line. You know, it, it's not smart when teams do that. So you're, you're uh, making an assumption of irrational coaching yeah. in that event. We, we felt really good about the offense. We know that Austin Eckler is a baller. You know, they went and they invested in the offensive line. The offensive line didn't wind up being great, but it was, um, it was okay. And, uh, and Austin Eckler is really, really freaking good at the game. And he's a stud for the way that fantasy football is played these days, which yeah. is full PPR. And it, this was a no-brainer to me. Yeah. Uh, Ever mentioned the goal line work. Austin Eckler ended up with 25 carries from inside the 10. That was sixth most in the league. Justin Jackson, Larry Roundtree, Josh Kelly, they combined for 15 carries from inside the 10. So, yeah, I mean, you know, the goal line work, I think looking back, I think people can take something away. Hey, you know, let's think more rationally about what's going to happen at the goal line. When you're as good as Austin Eckler is, you can score, even if you don't get the carries from the exact one yard line. Let's go to a running back miss. And let's go to Saquon Barkley, man. And this one, God, I I was in a very, very, very high stakes uh, season long league. I, you know, so high stakes. I shared it with a few other people and we were on the clock in the like middle of the second round. And like Saquon Barkley's just sitting there and I'm just like, God, like I know he's coming off the ACL. I know there's concerns over his workload, but the profile was so good. You know, like every down back with pass catching ability, goal line back, you know, I don't think I could have predicted the Giants being so, so, so bad, but maybe I should have. I mean, 1.4 touchdowns per game this year for the Giants, dead last in the entire NFL. So I don't know, man, like. Looking back at Saquon Barkley, I'm not sure if it was just like a stone cold mistake or not. What do you think about Saquon Barkley? I believe you had him 13th overall in the final top 150. Well, the warning signs were there entering the season. You know, there there was a lot of good reason to be skeptical of Saquon Barkley. I should have had him lower. Um, I think I had him maybe right in line with consensus, I want to say. But um, – I, I should have had him lower. The, the warning signs were there. The, the offense, we knew, we knew the offense was going to be bad. Let's be real. There was so much chatter about him being potentially limited at the outset of the season, which he was a little bit. But, you know, I mean, he, he wound up playing a, a lot of snaps, you know, on, yeah. on a per-game basis. He, he wasn't good. I mean, he, he wasn't good. If you watch him play, Saquon Barkley, he's more explosive at this point in his career moving laterally than he is vertically. And his game, going back to Penn State, has always been built on hitting long runs. He's not a sustainer four, six, eight, four. You know, he's he's not that kind of back. He's a long run back. And if he can't be explosive up the field vertically, if he's not 100%, then, I mean, you know, what is Saquon Barkley? And, yeah. and then you factor in the, you know, I mean, they fired their OC during the season. I mean, we knew that they were, they were going to stink. And See, I, I don't know if it was going to be, I don't know if we knew it was going to be that bad, but I mean, I, I remember saying like, I remember thinking like, you know, they had the whole off season. How was there never even any thought of firing Jason Garrett? He's yeah. terrible entering the season. They ultimately do, but not until, you know, there's a ton of games under their belt. It's just, it was a disaster scenario, and, and I think that we should have we should have done a better job of foreseeing this one. 
Yeah, you're, you're probably right. I, I overestimated the offense because I still think that Daniel Jones can play a little bit. I think Kenny Galladay can play. I think Sterling Shepard can play. They draft Kadarius Tony. They have Saquon Barkley. They have Evan Ingram. Like, in theory, the offense should not be bad. But in reality, like, man, you know, Jason Garrett and Giants offense. And yeah, like you said, like, Saquon profiles well, but it's just really hard. He's like a, such a unique player because he has so many negative runs and then you need him to pop the big ones. So yeah, I mean, obviously... With the benefit of hindsight, Saquon one was really bad. Let's go to the story of the 2021 NFL fantasy football season. That was Cooper Cup. So, you know, I don't want to do like a full-blown victory lap on Cooper Cup, but Evan did have Cooper Cup 34th overall in his top 150. That was 10 spots ahead of Cooper Cup's ADP. But we did have Robert Woods one spot ahead of Cooper Cup. You know, for me, it's just like a paralyzation thing. Like, I don't know who to take between Woods and Cup looking back. And then I end up either taking neither or I take Woods or, or, or whatever, you know, and I, I find this in DFS too. I get paralyzed a lot when there's multiple players on a team who I like. Um, they also had Tyler Higby, who we liked. Van Jefferson was obviously in the mix, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I mean, Evan, you were currently higher on, than consensus on Cooper Cup. I, I think that's an interesting point to say how, but then also the Woods versus Cup stuff. I think it's interesting too. How do you look back at this Cooper Cup season? Yeah, I remember having those guys right next to each other. Yeah, like pretty much the entire um, pre, you know, pre fantasy draft season, and regrettably, you know, I mean, look, Robert Woods got hurt. You know, yeah. he also wasn't very good before he got hurt. I mean, this was the Cooper Cup show from beginning to end. You know, and he had just in an absolutely incredible season. I'm glad that we were at least a good chunk ahead of his uh, his consensus ADP. So a lot of, I mean, I, I got him in drafts, you know, yeah. I, I was getting Cooper cup in drafts. I liked clicking him. You know, he was, um, he was a, a comfortable pick. I didn't know that he had the ceiling that, that he had though. And, and there was a lot of positive chatter about Cooper cup and Matthew Stafford, their chemistry during training camp, you know, and Matthew Stafford just unlocked this dude because he was a really good possession slot receiver before this season, a really good one, yeah. but this season, he became an alpha. I mean, you know, winning at all three levels of the field. We, we talked about him a ton leading into the Super Bowl. He wound up being a Super Bowl MVP. Um, but, I mean, his game absolutely elevated with Matthew Stafford. Um, he's, an, a, a, he's an unbelievable baller. I mean, the dude yeah. is so fucking good. It's, it's, it's crazy how good he is. You know, uh, and, uh, God, I mean, maybe we should have – seen this upgrade from golf to Stafford as having such a better impact on Cooper cup. And I know you did, but, but man, I mean, you know, Matthew Stafford led Calvin Johnson to the best receiving season of all time. Like dude can really, 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 really sling it. And so, yeah, I think being higher on Rams pass offense was sharp for sure. One that I, I regret, man, I, you know, Deandre Swift, I was just like out on DeAndre Swift. And I know he got hurt 10 games in the season, but man, he was crushing. I mean, in those first 10 games, DeAndre Swift was seeing 6.7 targets per game and he was getting 13.7 carries, getting 5.3 catches. He managed to score six touchdowns in those first 10 games. And you say, yeah, we don't want to draft guys on bad teams. Maybe it's better for a guy like DeAndre Swift to be on a bad team. I don't know. I mean, he's just such a good pass catcher. And again, when you talk about profiles of running backs and like the archetype of running backs that go in this dead zone, which we're going to talk about in the next episode, but but the archetype is not DeAndre Swift's archetype typically, like such a freak, explosive pass catcher. So 
I regret like being out on DeAndre Swift. That was really, really bad. Got saved because he got hurt 10 games in the season. But man, he was on his way to just an absolutely massive season, despite the Lions being so bad. How do you think about how we handled DeAndre Swift? Yeah, re- regrettably. I mean, there there was good reason to be, you know, real conservative or or to be lower than ADP on DeAndre Swift leading into the season. He was hurt all of camp. There was a new coaching staff in town. Didn't really believe in Anthony Lynn, who wound up getting uh, demoted, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in favor of Dan Campbell, who wound up calling the plays. You know, um, uh, Anthony Lynn before the season was talking about how he wanted to use Jamal Williams as like the lead back and DeAndre Swift as a change of pace. Yeah, uh, there was you know the, you remember the one really bad rumor about him that wound up being false. Yeah, you know um, it's it's tough to know how to react to that kind of stuff. But I mean there there was there were legitimate reasons for this fade. Um, I don't think we I don't think we faded him too too hard. I mean I I just know personally I didn't draft any of them. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think I might've gotten him in like one league. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, he was, he was not a comfortable guy to draft yeah. in the heart of draft season. He, he was a very uncomfortable pick because, you know, again, he was, he was hurt. Dan Campbell was talking about, he might not be ready for week one. Yeah. And it was just like, you know, and he, the, he was a tough guy to pick. So I, I think an important point when looking back is all the training camp talk and what are the training camp talk around DeAndre Swift was Jamal Williams is going to be the 1A, DeAndre Swift is going to be the 1B or whatever. And I, I you know, I kind of sloughed that off a little bit, but I still thought that Jamal Williams was going to play a ton. And, and he right. did, to be fair. To me, it's more learning from the archetype. Like the way DeAndre Swift plays football, similar to Austin Eckler, is the way we want our fantasy football running backs to play football, yeah. period. And yeah. so like, if you ignore all other noise and just take that, like I think that goes yeah. a long way. Yeah. I mean, it does, you know, we, we, you know, and it's, it's almost similar to Jonathan Taylor. They're not, they're not really similar backs, but it's, it's a bet on talent thing. At the same time, like we have to make micro decisions, you know, we, we, we have to rank the guys, you know? And so when there was just a lower comfort level on Deandre Swift, he was, he was a tough guy to click. And, um, but what wound up happening was he wound up just being the offensive engine. Yeah. You know, because they just didn't have a lot of players. I mean, you saw at the end of the season that we all like Amon Ross St. Brown, right? He's a fourth round rookie, you know, being the offensive engine when DeAndre Swift was banged up some late in the season. Uh, but DeAndre Swift, whenever he was healthy, he, w- he was the engine of the offense. It was a little bit of Hawkinson, but it, it was mainly DeAndre Swift. And, and you're right, because they played from behind. So often that, that ensured that each week that he was healthy, he was playing a solid 60% of the snaps you know, with the potential to catch five passes week in and week out. All right. want to end here quickly with a couple of hits. First hit was Mark Andrews. Uh, Credit to Evan here. Evan had Mark Andrews 52nd overall, which was well ahead of ADP. I mean, dude was unbelievable, especially late. I mean, easily fantasy's number one tight end, full point per game clear of Travis. Kelsey, I I think when I look back at Mark Andrews, like underlying metrics, mean a lot to me on Mark Andrews yards per route run for Mark Andrews has been freakish for his entire year. He just hasn't run that many routes with a chance to run more to get his foot healthy. Maybe, maybe we could have seen this coming. I, I think that um, anytime Lamar Jackson is in there, I have concerns about spending too much draft capital, just as I think the throwing is going to be uh, inconsistent to some degree, but man, at the tight end position, Mark Andrews was such a massive, massive win. Any takeaways, from Mark Andrews preseason ranking, Evan. 
yeah, this I, I got this dude on like every team, you know, yeah. because we were so freaking high on him. Um, you know, he he destroyed Kelsey. I mean, that's you know, he, he destroyed Kittle. He you're right, at year in and year out, his yards per route run. The, the dude is an, an unbelievable. I mean, he's an incredible athlete. He can win all over the field. He's quarterback proof. You remember how Tyler Huntley goes in and they're immediately riffing. The the Ravens pass volume did go up. You know, it's not, you know, what's it? It's not even league average. Um, but oh, well, I mean, their defense got bad, which I think helped Mark right. Andrews too. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so they're and they're and as the season progressed, their their defense just, you know, disintegrated due to injuries, and that helped. But they also were throwing the ball more early in the year and that helped, but yeah, this was a, uh, this was a bet on top because he was coming off a seat, kind of a down year. He left a, a lot of yards touchdowns on the field in 2020. He really just didn't have a great season. It was a weird year. You remember that was the first, that was the first COVID year and he has, um, uh, you know, a condition, it might be diabetes, mm-hmm. I believe Yeah, he, he has a condition and it just it was it was a mess of a year for for Mark Andrews, but he bounced back in a major way. Had an absolutely awesome season. Um, so yeah, that was a, that was a nice hit. All right, last one we're gonna do here today. We'd be remiss if we didn't do a little victory lap on our boy Jamar Chase, our Bengals. Shout out to Jamar Chase and the Bengals. All these like season long screenshots that people sent us, which we love to get. Obviously, they all had Jamar Chase because he went absolutely nuclear in the fantasy playoffs week sixteen. 15, 16, 17, I believe it was. I mean, Jamar Chase was just going off. And if you remember clearly, there was so much FUD. Like, there was, I mean, so much, like, all-out panic on Jamar Chase. He wasn't having a great camp. Uh, he, he, he's dropping too many balls in camp. He can't catch the ball that, that uh, has stripes or whatever. doesn't have stripes. I mean, it was getting insane. Jamar Chase at one point, I mean, I was getting him in, like, the seventh or eighth round. And at one point, early before all that FUD, he was going, like, the fourth round. And so I think in hindsight, what we can learn is when someone is a prospect like Jamar Chase, I mean, absolutely flawless prospect. He went 84, 17, 80, 20 at 19 years old for LSU. Like imagine thinking that he just like forgot how to catch the football. I mean, that that's insane. And so, yeah, I thought maybe Jamar Chase would get off to a slower start, you know, whatever. But I was, I thought the Bengals would throw it more than they did. It still worked out fine because Jamar Chase is just such a freak. And so just staying the course and, you know, like, I'm so for uh, trying to filter out the noise in preseason. Like, yeah, Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup having breakfast together, like I joke about it, it's probably just noise. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's real. I don't know. But like if you go down the rabbit hole all that stuff, you're going to end up wrong more than right. But when it's stuff like, oh, Jamar Chase is having drops in camp, like I don't care. You know, so a, a lot of this stuff is like preseason rhetoric that affects ADP so much. Jamar Chase's ADP sunk like a stone. I was so happy that we stuck with him and made a huge difference for people in season long leagues. I don't know what else there's to say on Jamar Chase, just a total freak, but any Jamar Chase thoughts, Evan? His camp struggles were real. I mean, he even admitted to it with the, uh, the stripes on the ball thing. You know, he wasn't yeah. catching the ball well in camp. He also was struggling to separate according to the beat writers and the beat writers were just thoroughly on. He just looked like a guy on the practice field, but you know, and what we talked about this a lot, Leading into this, you know, he didn't play football in in 2020. Yeah. I mean, this was his first exposure really playing football in a long time, at a very young age. And and I, I you know, I I tweeted about some of the concerns. You know, I tweeted them out when Paul Diener, who does a great job covering yeah. the Bengals for uh, the Athletic, 
um, and, and other beat writers that, that had mentioned his struggles in camp, but never moved him in the rankings, not once. And I thought about doing it every single day. You know, I mean, I, I thought about it. Like, should I, should I bump him down? I don't know. Never moved him down, though. And, um, you know, I think people really, really uh, were able to reap the, the benefits of that because you're yeah. right. By the time it was, you know, the heart of fantasy draft season, dude was going in the seventh and eighth round. Yeah. And, and we still had him like as a fourth round value. So, and, and God, he's, I mean, he won the freaking Bolitnikoff award on the same team as Justin Jefferson <laughs> at 19 years old. Yes. Yes. You know, uh, I think one thing that I think people can take away is that to me, and I love beat writers. I love beat writers for information, for talking about injuries, for talking about depth chart. I'm really skeptical that beat writers are good at evaluating talent. And so when a beat writer says, well, this guy doesn't look great in camp, I, I don't know, man. I, I kind of just like ignore that. Now, if he says that Jamar Chase is running with the third team in camp or Jamar Chase is, yeah. is yeah. not getting targets from Joe Burrow in camp, I'll listen to that. But I'm not going to listen to somebody who says, oh, well, you know, this guy's having a bad camp. You know, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it just, yeah. I, I just don't trust the beat writers enough yeah. to be like talent evaluators. And I don't One trust thing yeah, there, there are two things that, that we need to be really skeptical anytime the beat writers do when they do stat projections, yeah. like I'll read them. They're not, they're not statistical forecasters. Okay. Yeah. So whenever they, you know, they're giving out stats that could really, you know, that they're going to project that this guy catches, you know, 140 balls, like, <laughs> you know, and they also, they only cover one team, yeah. you know, they're not out at other training camps looking at what's happening at those camps. Or even I don't even think they watch other teams. Period. They they have a lot to do just to cover their own team, so they have no context for even how good a guy is. And, and Paul Diener has been covering the Bengals for a really long time, but you know he's only seen Bengals receivers. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, he's not covering other teams. Yeah. Um, so it's just the, a, a, a thorough lack of context, and, and you have to be aware of that for sure. All right. We're going to be back next episode to talk about some more later round hits and misses. Hopefully get some more stuff we can take away and be better for next season. Appreciate y'all being here with this free content. We'll continue throughout the offseason. Be sure you're subscribed anywhere podcasts are found or on YouTube. It is indeed free for Evan, for producer Luke. I'm Adam. Good luck, everybody.